in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to start from verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, when I was about 10, I was picked to sing in a choir. You may not believe this, but uh, I was picked to sing in a choir that went up. It was, it was an entire school. It went up to 18, this, this thing. It was orchestra and everything. And uh, I, me and a couple of my mates got picked. Uh, it was, seemed like a cool thing to do at the time because uh, we were quite young. And uh, we were, we had, one of the sing, songs we sang was a song called Beatus Via, which was in Latin. And I'll be honest with you, I've not known until the last two weeks what on earth it was we were singing about. We just rattled off this song in Latin, no idea what it was, was about. But Beatus Via means blessed is the man, or blessed is the one, and it goes on, who fears God. And uh, the Latin word Beatus, it simply means blessed. So that is where we get the word beatitude from. It simply means the blesseds, um, as uh, these sayings of Jesus became known, uh, or have become known, at the very start of his infamous uh, Sermon on the Mount, the renowned sermon that he gave. Because each one of them, each of these eight statements, begins with the words, blessed, and goes on to that. Um, So last week we gave out a booklet, uh, B, um, which was basically uh, giving people some... Uh, scriptures and questions to reflect on during the week. If you didn't pick one up last week, then they'll be on the refreshments table or on the welcome point uh, at the end of the service, and you can pick those up uh, to process stuff through the week. There's questions there you can use in groups or on your own um, as well. But uh, these are the, the blesseds, and the word blessed implies something good. Uh, the word blessed means it kind of implies something that is freely given to us. It's not something you earn, you're blessed with something. But it also has that sense of something from heaven, something from God uh, towards us, uh, something that is good um, and, uh, and, and is great and all of that. It implies fruitfulness, it imp- implies thriving and resilience and well-being and joy. And the Greek word makarios, um, which is originally used there, uh, is like the highest sense of well-being a human can have. So who would not want to be blessed? We would love that. We would like that. But the question comes is, what is the secret to being blessed? Who is the person who can be blessed? And I think the world would say to us that surely the blessed, you know, if you want to see the blessed in the world, then look at the religious. Though surely they're blessed, you know, because they're the God people. Or perhaps the rich, the rich, you know, that's the proof of God's blessing on someone's life. Surely you're blessed if you're happy and comfortable rather than those that are mourning. Surely you're blessed if you uh, are someone who has worked their way to the top in life. Um, Surely the blessed are those who are already righteous, who live good and upright lives. Surely that is what blessing looks like. Um, Surely the blessed are those who don't take advantage, who don't let others take advantage of them, um, but actually find themselves doing well. 
Uh, surely the blessed are those who aren't so black and white about stuff because life's so much easier then uh, in that situation rather than the pure in heart, for example. Surely the blessed are those who keep away from troubled situations, you know, because you might get stabbed, you might get shot rather than the peacemakers that step in. Surely the blessed are those who go with the flow so that everything goes well in life. You get on with everyone rather than the persecuted who stand up for things. But Jesus turned these things on their heads as far as the world goes. And yet even in Christendom, I think, that, that we misunderstand what these blessings are really uh, about. Some see them as saying you've got to be poor, sad, weak, and mild um, if you're to be an ideal Christian. But I don't think that is what they're about. So likewise, some people will say they're just a list of ultimate to-dos. You know, if you want to uh, experience the love and the kingdom of God, then these, this is a to-do list, but they're pretty miserable ones uh, at best. Um, but maybe it isn't that either. So what is the context uh, of, of these words? Well, we, if we go back into... Um, so this is just a little bit back into Matthew 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, has come near. Okay, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus' basic message was the availability of the kingdom of heaven. It has come near. Um, basically, turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is available to people. And he calls his first followers and they begin to follow. And uh, then he goes throughout Galilee and he teaches in the synagogues and preaches the good news. And he heals people of all sorts of conditions and ailments that they have among the people. And therefore large crowds come and they gather around from all the different regions that were listed. He goes up on a mountainside and he begins to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. It says in verse one that the disciples came to him. But at the very end of the sermon, in chapter 7, 28, it says that when Jesus had finished these, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So the crowds were listening to him, and they said, here's a guy who teaches with authority, unlike our religious leaders, the teachers of the law. This is a message that Jesus is bringing to the crowds. This is good news for the crowds. These are the blesseds for the crowds, because they have literally just experienced it. They've been out, out there and, and he's been blessing them. They've experienced some healing or whatever they've, they've found. They've experienced something of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus now starts to speak to them and says, this is what it's for. It is for you. So Dallas Willard argues that the poor in spirit is not a praiseworthy condition, which is sometimes how we view it. It's not a praiseworthy condition to somehow to attain like humility, but it is poverty of spirit, spiritual poverty. And when we think of the word poverty, we, we, we see that in a negative term in our, in, the, in our language. You know, poverty is not a good thing. It's not something to be, to be proud of in a sense. Spiritual poverty is a lack in our lives, a genuine lack. Spiritual failure, perhaps. Spiritual deficiency. Spiritual bankruptcy. Uh, those who haven't got a wisp of religion uh, in the, to their name. And like all these people that are crowding around him, they begin to say, he's talking about us. He's talking about the, the us. We, we're, the, we're the spiritual nobodies around here. We're the people who've got no spiritual qualifications whatsoever. We're the ones that, that don't know our Bible. We're, we're not likely to start leading people in prayer. Uh, they're the first to tell you that they can't make head and tail of this religion thing. Spiritual poverty 
in itself is not something that is good. But Jesus says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Turn to God, the kingdom of heaven is available to you. I had a woman on the phone just last week, and um, I think she was from London. And she said, I've, just, I've got lots of questions. I can't make head and tail of this religion stuff, this Christianity stuff. Could you help me with some of these questions? And she started to ask me. The um, uh, first question was about um, Trinity. I can't get my head around this, this Trinity thing, Father, Son, Spirit. We talked a little bit. And she said, I, and I can't get my head around the fact that you, you know, trust in the Bible. You know, how can you trust the Bible? And we started to talk about that a little bit. And I asked her if she'd ever read any of it, you know, even a gospel. She hadn't. I encouraged her to do that. And she said, then my big question, my big question says is, what, what is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? <laughs> On a phone call. I said, so I just began to say, well, it's, it's ultimately, it's about friendship with God. It's about relationship with God. And he has created you for good works and for good purposes. He has got a unique and significant thing for you to do in this world out of relationship with him. And uh, she was confused, but she's asking questions. And it's for people like her is the kingdom of God. Come and start to look at it. Um, I was um, uh, just alpha last week, and uh, there's, there's a girl in the group, and we just had this real simple question. What's your favorite film? thought it was going to be a simple question. And she says, oh, so my favorite film is um, Jungle Book. We thought, oh, great. And so I just asked, why? And she said, I've never thought of that question. And then she starts to break down in tears. And she says, she says, I think it's because I feel like Mowgli. I feel like I'm the outsider. I'm the one that doesn't fit in. And she said, I've never thought about that question before. And she starts to, to just, just cry and, and, and all sorts of stuff started to come out of her life. You know, the kingdom of heaven is for people like her. I was given a talk one evening and... Um, a few years ago, and I was trying to explain that we don't try harder to get God's righteousness, but actually it's a free gift that's given to us. You know, as Romans uh, 23, so as Romans 3.22 says, that this righteousness is given. You know, we don't earn it, but Jesus gives it to us. And, you know, we talk about being clothed in Jesus' righteousness. So, and my illustration is to pull out a nice clean handkerchief, you know, nicely ironed white handkerchief that covers me. And it's to say, it's not my righteousness, but I'm giving it as a free gift. And I put my hand in my pocket, and out comes this dirty hanky. I'm like, oh, no, I've forgotten the hanky. And I'm looking at it, and it's crushed. Oh, it's just like, and I'm thinking, I've blown that. Pardon the pun. But um, <laughs> I mean, I've messed this up. But I, the, a girl comes to me at the end, and she says, she says, I'm so glad you used the dirty handkerchief. She said, it made me realize that even I could become a Christian. And I'm thinking, no, you missed the point. And she did miss the point that I was trying to make. But she got another point that God also makes, and that is, blessed are the dirty hankies of this world, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is available to everyone. We aren't blessed and we aren't happy if we're a dirty hanky, by the way. Okay? We're blessed and we're happy when we see the kingdom of heaven, when we know the kingdom of heaven. But it is available to every single person, whatever their experience is. We turn to God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For ours, the kingdom of heaven is near. It is available. It is closer than we think, whatever state we're in. Uh, Stu Garrard, who um, plays in the band Delirious, puts it like this. He says, God is on the side of everybody for whom there's no reason why God should be on their side. It's good, isn't it? God is on the side of everybody for whom there's no reason why God should be on their side. 
should be on their side. When we move on into uh, Luke's account of uh, the blessed, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 20 onwards, it's likely that he's teaching in a different situation, but using similar teaching um, and uh, capturing a slightly different angle on it. And his words there are far more about material poverty. So in verse 20, uh, blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on in verse 24 and he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And uh, Jesus speaks into both spiritual poverty, but also material poverty. And there's a couple of things worth pointing out at this point. The first is that in the Jewish religion, they falsely taught that material poverty was directly linked to favor with God and godliness. They had their own prosperity gospel, uh, if you like. So if you were outwardly successful, then that was a sign that God's favor was clearly upon you. And if you weren't, then God's favor wasn't upon you. But Jesus turns that completely around on its head here. And he says that God's favor is not measured by your material success. God's favor is available to all regardless. And the second thing is worth saying is that poverty in itself is not a blessing. Poverty is a curse upon our world. It wrecks people's lives and nations, and we all are aware of that. But even within poverty, you can experience the blessing, the true blessing of the kingdom of God. And we will all know people and places where we've met people who've got absolutely nothing, and yet they know the joy of God, and they know the, the love of God and the, the, all that comes with the kingdom of heaven, yet materially they have nothing. Likewise, we probably know people who are actually very well off in life, um, and yet you know that they've also expressed all the fruits of the Spirit. You know, they're kind, they're generous, they're full of joy, they know relationship with God. Um, we read uh, James um, writes this. James was Jesus' half-brother, so you know he knew him well. And uh, he says this to um, people he calls believers in humble circumstances. He says, believers in hum humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. Their humble circumstances, James is writing, and some of you will be familiar with James chapter one, talks about trials and tribulations and uh, you know, the need for perseverance and all of that. And basically, the people he's writing to are Christians who have either lost their jobs or have ended up on very low-paid jobs because of their Christian faith. They've been persecuted, and they've ended up right down at the bottom of the social ladder. They are literally on, in humble circumstances and low wages due to persecution. But what James says to them, he says, he says, take pride in your high position. So in the world's eyes, it might seem like a low position, but in God's eyes, it is a high position because they are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. They are heirs of God. They are co-heirs with Christ and inherit everything that Jesus inherits of heaven. They are God's adopted children, you know, no longer slaves, but with full rights as sons and daughters of God. They are friends and brothers and sisters of Jesus himself. Take pride in your high position. You are blessed in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing that there is in Christ. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that many of us that face challenges and trials and hardships, often we forget who we are in Christ. 
You know, we forget that we are no less loved, even though things might not be going as well, it seems, in our lives. But it's also a reminder to the, for the well-off, for those that are well-positioned in society. And actually, probably most of us in this world would be in the top 1% of the, the world's rich, I think, um, just by living in the UK. Um, but it says this, it is very temporary. You know, material stuff, he says, is very temporary. You know, it's just like a flower in the field. And it does nothing for our eternal status with God, which is far more important. So these blessings offer us the amazing good news that we could ever hope for, that God is always available to us. His kingdom is always available, whatever our circumstance, whoever we are. And he is very present in the ache and the pain and the lack and the not yetness of life. That doesn't mean, you know, if you're experiencing tough stuff, it doesn't mean God has abandoned you. But he says, I'm available in the midst of all of that in a very powerful and a very real way. I think the reality is deep down for a lot of people in our world, and I mean, we see it around us, a lot of people feel unblessed. In fact, a lot of people feel that they are unblessable in life. You know, what, why would I get anything? You know, we look at image and identity uh, in our world and you know, what the world has done to them. It's been cursed by age through advertising and through social media. You know, people are unhappy with themselves. So many people in our society are unhappy with the way they look, um, the way they weigh, perhaps, the hair, how much hair they have or don't have, um, their appearance, their age. Um, everybody seems to be relentlessly um, engaged with, I've got to have a relationship, I've got to be a romantic thing, sex, physical fitness, image, all of this stuff that have become the things in our society that have convinced many that determine whether you're on the blessed list of life or whether you're on the woe list of life. And so many people think they're on the woe list of life and are trying to get onto the blessed list of life in the way that the world says that we need to do. Um, so in, in Luke's day, the world's blessed list was the rich, the well-fed, the laughing, everyone speaking well of you. But we have our own list today. And uh, the question is, you know, do you believe that you're on the blessed list? Or do you believe you're on the wall list, if you like? Just as you are, not without doing anything, but just as you are. Where do you think that you are? Are you trying to be something? And Jesus comes to us and says, well, actually, he doesn't tell us off. It's a, I love the way that Jesus does things, but he takes time later in his sermon to point out the natural beauty of every single human being. And he says this in, uh, later on. He says, think of the most glamorous person you know. I don't know who that would be. I don't know whether that's a Julia Roberts or a George Clooney or a, I don't know who that might be, a Beyonce or a Zac Efron. I know what your world is, okay? But who's the most glamorous person that you think of? You know, who would you like to be like? What would you like to look like? Whose clothes would you like to wear? Yeah, whoever that is. And uh, back a day, apparently it was this guy Solomon in all his splendor. That was the guy that they, they looked to. And what Jesus says is this. He says, think of the most glamorous person you know. And he says, they are not as ravishingly beautiful even as a simple flower in the field. He says, you take all of Princess Diana's dresses, all of those Oscar red carpet gowns and all the rest of it, and put it beside a simple poppy. He says, the poppy wins hands down and it doesn't even try. Okay? It doesn't even try. That is a beauty. 
And it, what he goes on effectively says is the abundant life of God flowing through you makes you of greater natural beauty than the flower. Matthew 6, verse 30. That's the kingdom of God. That's the blessing of God through people. It actually doesn't even matter what you do look like, um, you know, or think you look like. It doesn't matter even if you smell bad, okay, or if you've got three eyes, or both, okay. <laughs> or you're too big, or you're too little, or you're too loud. Every person is riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. Okay? You, as you are, riotously celebrated um, by God. It may be that life has seriously crushed you. You know, life has been tough for you. You've failed at something, or education has failed you, or your parents have let you down, or maybe they walked out on you at a young age, or life's burned you up and spat you out, you know, and you feel broken, you feel damaged. You know, perhaps you've got an incurable virus or illness. Um, perhaps it's barrenness. Perhaps it's pregnant too many times or pregnant at the wrong time. Maybe you're overemployed or underemployed or unemployed or unemployable. You know, you've been swindled, you've been shoved aside, you've been forgotten, you've been replaced. Or you feel lonely, or you feel incompetent, or you feel emotionally starved, or emotionally drained by giving out all the time. And what Jesus offers is blessedness to every single person in his kingdom, regardless of circumstance, regardless of experience. The life we look for comes from a simple friendship with Jesus. And as we come to that, and as we draw on that, his kingdom is available to us. You know, we think of the moral disasters of our world, and uh, the people have just so got it wrong. Even they will be received by God. And maybe that's us, you know. But as we come to rely on Jesus, as we come to trust him and walk with him, whatever we've done, or whatever someone else has done, however bad, there is forgiveness in the kingdom of God that knows no limits at all. The kingdom of heaven is available to all. Uh, here's some words from a well-known Christian musician. He says this, he says, I've met so many people like me, so many of us whose lives are tangled up, so many who are recovering but still limping, so many of us who aren't amongst the world's poorest, and yet we feel as though we're scraping out an existence just to stay alive. So many of us who are carrying so much spiritual and emotional baggage that our bones are bent with the weight. And while our symptoms and our causes are as unique as the freckles on our skin, we're all united by one simple word, poverty. We're all poor. None of us can make it on our own. But God is on the side of everybody for whom there is no reason why he should be on their side. And so right in the middle of the world's most famous sermon ever, we have the key to making sense of life. Even in 21st century life, with its chaos, with its collisions, with its hypocrisy, with its hope, with its poverty, with its potential, you know, you are blessed when you are poor. You are blessed when you are poor in spirit, when you are spiritually bankrupt, when you feel pathetic, when you feel bedraggled, when you feel confused, when you feel morally empty, and when you believe the lie that there's nothing good left in you. Because there is a God who is redeeming. There's a God who is remaking. There is a God who is reordering and reshaping the world. And he is with you right now. God is on your side. And the question this morning really as we pray 
Let me just be, what, what, what is the poverty? What is your poverty today? You know, where do you feel rubbish in life? Where's your lack? Where do you feel you, you don't fit in or you're not on the list or you're on the wall list? Or where are you ashamed? Where do you feel robbed of something or pushed down in some way? Whatever your poverty is, you can bring it to God. You might need to forgive those that have hurt you. You might need to just confess your poverty mentality that says, God can't use me or God can't bless me. But to confess it to him this morning and in return to receive his joy, to receive his hope, to receive his life. And as you release it, or as you release someone in forgiveness, just to receive his blessing into your life this morning. Let's just, where we are, just quietly, just allow Jesus to put his hand upon you now as he walks amongst us. Put his hand on your head. Put his hand on your pain. And bless, bless you now in Jesus' name. Bless you now in Jesus' name.